I would like to encourage us as a community of 7 million C++ developers around the world, as we consider C++'s future, to push the boundaries to bring C++ itself forward and double down on C++, not be quick to switch to something else. Welcome to ADSP, the podcast, episode 97, recorded on September 25th, 2022. My name is Connor, and today with my co-host, Bryce, we talk to Sean Baxter about C++, Carbon, Circle, and CPP Front. We've got uh, bidirectional is the infinity sign, omnidirectional is the circle, stereo is the overlapping Venn diagram, and cardioids. the... Okay, which one do I want to be on? Probably Omni or, yeah, Omni okay, so, I'm so, Connor, Connor, there are four oh, symbols. Oh, yeah, right, right. The circle, the circle, the circle. It's it's topical that this is a perfect segue into <laughs> having Sean Baxter. Better not be puns involved. All right, so we should, uh, we should introduce our guest. Yeah. Bryce, you take you take you can take this introduction. Hang on, uh, Hang on. my my dog is is staring dead into my eyes right now. All right, I am here in my lovely Manhattan apartment with Sean Baxter, the creator of the Circle Compiler, which I personally think is the future of C plus plus. Um, Sean, maybe you should introduce yourself. Uh, thanks for the introduction, Bryce. Uh, hi, Connor. <laughs> I'm here to, um, I guess for a really aggressive interview, it sounds like. Yeah, adversarial, that's correct. Adversarial one. I'll try to, try to stay on my toes. Yeah. Did you listen to the last episode? Because what happened when, I'm not even sure I'm allowed to mention it, but we, Bryce, I was asking Bryce if we were going to talk about some topical news that had come out in the last previous week and then uh, about uh, sort of successor to c++ kind of area and then he was like oh do you mean jacked or no first you said oh do you mean val and then i said no you know i don't mean val and then he said oh you mean jacked and then out of that uh he said oh we should bring on sean baxter because sean has looked at all of the languages that are supposedly going to replace c++ and has opinions to share and including obviously i think more importantly before everybody decided they wanted to make a successor language to C++, like predating it by like three or four years, Sean decided he wanted to make C++ better. Yeah. And for the, I mean, we should, yeah, do like, you should introduce yourself a bit for any of the people that haven't listened. You have, I think, two different interviews, one on CppCast and one on CPP Chat. And I distinctly recall being in uh, Sunnyvale and I think I was either on a bike ride or on a run when I was listening to that CPP chat episode. And I like, I was like floored because they were just, you were just talking about how you had written a C++ compiler, like single-handedly by yourself. (laughs) And I was like, wait, what? And uh, you were, and then I think it was like, I can't remember. Yeah. It was probably the CPP chat one and the, and the, the hosts were, just like, well, let me get this straight. Over three years, or I think it was two or three years, you just single-handedly by yourself. Like, meanwhile, the other 
people implementing compilers or teams, uh, scores of people, and you just did it single-handedly. So anyways, you can... Uh, right. So it's been six years now that I quit my job. I had this uh, epiphany about um, compilers, and I thought, like, the initial idea was to rotate the language from the compile time into the runtime domain, or rather, let me say that again, to rotate the language from the runtime to the compile time domain. So what used to be code that you could build and execute at runtime, you could uh, evaluate it through the interpreter at compile time. And that way, all the standard library and, and pretty much all code would be available to you uh, to use for compile time programming. Uh, and that was that was the impetus. So I have a, like a meta token that you can put in front of a statement, um, and it'll uh, evaluate that and create that object um, at compile time. And there's no, like, it doesn't care about const expert or anything like that. So you can have mutable state, um, and it kind of blurs the line between a compiled language and an interpreted language. It's still statically typed. It still generates object code at the end. But now you have um, access to a, a, you know, a greater vocabulary of functions and types to, to do your work. So you can open a file at compile time, read in data, and then um, kind of reflect on that data to emit code programmatically. Um, and that was, you know, that was the original idea. And it, it was actually a really great way to start writing a compiler because I didn't have to worry about LLVM at the beginning. I could just um, use the interpreter and evaluate my own uh, source code at compile time. So that was a, an easier way to bring it up. So instead of having to worry about a front end and back end, building both of these simultaneously, it was like, I'll just build the front end. I'll try to consume all of the, you know, uh, STL headers. I'll try to consume, you know, other kind of open source projects to get this thing um, uh, built. And then instead of worrying about emitting object code, I could just run it inside the compiler. And that was a, a good way to bring it up. That's pretty pretty amazing. So, but I want to I want to I want to go back to the, the, the first part of that mm -hmm. amazing story, which is you quit your job. You believe in this so much that, like, just 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 take me through that. Like, you you were had such conviction in this that this needed to be built. Um, right. Um, I I I didn't really know what was in store for me, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure I would do it again, but on the other hand, I think it's kind of in my nature to do this. Yeah. Um, it's been, I mean, it's been like really difficult. Um, and I've, I haven't had any money. I haven't had any income since then. So one motivating factor behind this is just like, I don't want to end up penniless and with nothing to show. So I put a lot of pressure on myself to produce. So I don't get bogged down in problems. If I see a can of worms, I do not go open it. I try to, I try to stay productive and I just try to, to write code. And I have this sense of like, just being able to, to cruise through any issue. And I, I think I've always had that kind of conviction. It's just a matter of willpower. So if, I, if you have the idea and there's an, an idea that's attractive, and if you can sum up the willpower, then you should go and do it. I didn't have any other, you know, dependence or anything like that. So might as well follow my <laughs> yeah, dreams. That makes, that makes things a little bit easier. Yeah. But I, I think since then, Circle has um, evolved a lot, and it's gone in a lot of different directions. So I have, um, I've had two distinct pattern matching implementations. I've had... Um, a shader, I embedded the uh, GLSL, OpenGL shader language into C++, and I can emit uh, the SPIRV intermediate representation, which is used for um, Vulkan and OpenGL code. So you can program uh, any of the 12 shader stages in C++, just like you would CUDA. I have like a CUDA target, um, and I've been, at uh, CPP now, I, I gave a keynote on uh, pack 
meta functions and enhanced parameter packs, which are. Which was a, it was a great talk. I loved the talk. I was I was sad when people had so much constructive criticism afterwards, but I thought it was a great talk. Yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm just trying to explore um, different language ideas, and some of these are really radical. I don't think any of like these things I'm talking about aren't things that will appear in proposals, and there certainly won't things that they're not things that are likely to be um, standardized. But, but are know. they radical, or are they radical for C++? And like I asked that, like if C++ was a younger language, or if C++ was evolved like some other languages are, would some of these proposals be seen as radical as they are in C++? I don't know. Um, It's hard to say. I mean, <laughs> we, we are where we are. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, do you want to like pivot to the uh, successor language question? Because I think that is... uh, I, have, I have a few. I have a few oh, other. Uh, okay. Uh... This is going to be awesome because I'm just going to sit back and let Bryce. <laughs> this and so I'm just going to get like an advanced preview screening of this uh, of this in, of this interview here. <laughs> okay. So 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 next uh, uh, next discussion point. Um, so Circle is not open source. Right. And I think a lot of people maybe find that surprising um, in this day and age. Um, can you maybe explain why it's not open source? Um, yeah, I don't want to have to respond to people. Um, I, I need to be able to sit back and think about things. So for the last like three months, you know, two or three months, I've been thinking about generics. And I have to be able to tune everything out. And the idea about if you open source it and you have like pull requests and you have all these uh, demands on your time. And, you know, this is still like a research language, even though it's a full compiler, it's 275,000 lines. I've, I've run a lot of test suites through it. For me, it's still about exploring ideas. And, you know, for me, I want to spend my time developing ideas and I think responding to, to users to like, and they have like, oh, there's so many, there's so many odd demands that I, I can't satisfy. So I'm just trying to do the, the best I can. And at the same time, I feel like I don't owe anybody anything right now. It's not open source. I'm not taking anyone's contributions. Mm -hmm. um, this is giving me more freedom to kind of build the tool and take it any, any which way I want. Right. Because um, making something open source is sort of the act of giving away some degree of control over what happens to it because then you have contributors that come in and it's, and it's yeah. a big commitment to support. Yeah. Um, Kind of a community, even. Yeah. Um, even if you just have like few contributors, it's still a, a demand on your time. And you know, I, I like having kind of high level conversations with people if they have features they're interested in. Like I'm, you know, happy to to try to implement things and see how they how they feel. Um, so I, I like kind of interacting at that that level. But yeah, I it's I think it would really slow the process down um, if I had to. Um, kind of give people a stability guarantee as well as pulling in their contributions. The ability to like just change Looney? the terms of the... Hmm? Sorry, the dog was tearing at something she was not supposed to be tearing at. Okay. Looney, come here. Look. Continue talking. Oh my. <laughs> Welcome to ADSP the podcast. <laughs> It's really uh, gone downhill since the beginning. You know, Bryce likes to have his dinner while we record. What? You know, it's, the dog is like a basically a third co-host at this point. Uh, yeah. Okay. We got okay. The dog is on Bryce's lap now, like a yeah. small child. Because the dog, the dog was trying to eat her 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 dog bed, which I've had to sew 
up holes in that dog bed three or four times. Yeah. She really likes pulling stuff you know stuff. So anyways, so the last the last statement about open source is that um since I don't have any source code users, I'm free to kind of refactor the code continuously, which I do. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, if you can't really have an open source project where the internals of it change so rapidly. It just breaks everyone's mm-hmm. downstream projects. So for me, right, at this point, it's it's important for me to, to stay nimble and uh, to myself. But it is freely available, right? If you want to, if you want, if you want to use the yeah. binary, the binary, sure, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, and and it's interesting. Connor and I last week talked about um, uh, another the K programming, yeah, language. the K programming language, which is another language that was that is developed by a single visionary person. Um, it's not open source and. Uh, it's just uh, released in uh, uh, you know a binary form, and I think there's there's sort of many similarities to to that evolution story. Um, although interestingly, with the K language, there's different versions of the K or different evo- uh, not versions but evolutions of the K language. And um, uh, when when the when the guy Arthur Whitney decides that it's time for a new one, he deletes all the source code for the old version. And starts over and deletes all the binaries and it's just it can, it's completely from scratch. Well, that's a thirty year old project. I don't think I want to go for that long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then my, my the, the final the final uh, uh, question or topic. Um, so you use LLVM as the backend in in Circle, correct? Yeah, I have some others as well, but primarily LLVM. So so maybe can you maybe explain a little bit about how LLVM is used in Circle? Because I think a lot of people maybe hear about Circle and they're like, oh, like it's just got to just be an extension of Clang or something like that, um, which it's not. Um, right, it's not. Yeah, so it's not based on Clang at all. It's a completely... It's unrela- There's no Clang dependency. Right. It's unrelated to Clang. Uh, LLVM is an intermediate representation. It's it's like a abstract version of assembly, and it targets a, um, a virtual machine, the, the low-level virtual machine, and there's instructions like you would find in an Intel or ARM assembly guide... Uh, but these are for this this abstract machine, and then you emit code for this IR, and LLVM lowers it. Um, so it's it's really a portable assembler. Uh, it leaves up to you, like the um, responsibilities for binary binary interface and kind of understanding the requirements of the operating system. It's it's very low level, but it's like I just yeah I target the LLVM IR, but I don't have any claim dependency. Gotcha. All right. Now, should, should we stick? Because uh, we got, well, we're like what ten minutes in, ten minutes into this recording. Because if we want, we can chat about. Or should we switch to the next topic? We, no, there's nothing more well, we want to say about okay, circle. If, you said if we want, we can chat about, and then there's a dot 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 there. If we want, we can chat about what? Oh, like continue to ter- talk about circle for a little bit because we're gonna slice yeah, and dice yeah. this well, up. I'm, for uh, if we want to talk about carbon, no, uh, nah, let's talk about circle. No, I, I mean, what I've been doing is related to that, so it's. Yeah. If you want to go in that direction. Should we? What do you think, Connor? What do the listeners want? Oh, they're hearing this. Uh, 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 the listener. The listener. Um, well, I, I think I'm curious, you know, and maybe the listener's curious, what is the biggest difference? You sort of, you, you mentioned the compile, compile time stuff, but, you know, if you're a company or even an individual that's using C++ right now, whether that's 11 or 20, et cetera, you know, what's the, the pitch or, like, you know, the things that, Current C++ developers might be interested in switching some personal project or even if they're at a company to use Circle. What's the delta? Like, what can, what makes up the delta that would cause people to make that decision? Well, I'm, I'm really bleeding edge. So I've, 
I'm like at 23 or 26. So as soon as there's a proposal that I think is interesting, I put it in. The um, universal template parameters, um, that missed the 23 window, but it's been in circle for like a year and a half already. Um, I, I think really the delta is that if there's a feature that a company needs to put in, they're likely unable to do that with Clang, but they're likely able to do that with Circle. And I think really the, the idea is it's, um, I don't mind taking on special functionality and integrating that into the core of the language. I think that's good. And there's this, um, kind of truism, which I think is not right, which is that it, you know, what did they say that at the center of C++, there's a simpler language waiting to get out, something like that. Yeah. And I don't, or a smaller language. I don't think a small language is a simpler uh, or, or a more streamlined developer experience. And I, I think that getting first-class language features, um, which Circle as a, as a code base is really uh, tuned to deliver, um, I think that's super valuable. And, and the idea that we're going to pare down a, comp a complex language that has you know, 40 years of history uh, or 50 years of history, and somehow that makes it more responsive to the user needs, I don't, I don't really believe that. So, yeah, I, I think really it's about um, trying to anticipate uh, where the kind of work that users want. God, it's whimpering. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Her mom is in, is, uh, is in Virginia today. She's, and she, she just doesn't behave as well for me. I'm the fun parent, not the disciplinarian. Uh, uh, yeah, so I... I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for, I, I guess I'm still looking for that killer feature. And I think I might have found it recently, but I'm just exploring, you, 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 I'm exploring yeah, the, the language, language design space. What's that? What's this, what's the killer feature? Is it the language tuple stuff? No, language tuples are, are, I mean, that's nice, but we, we can get into it. We'll okay, all right, all right. Well, okay, but so, so, so another question. Um, is Circle the most, uh, uh, like up to date with the standard C++ compiler these days. Like if you want to try out the latest C++ uh, uh, I don't know. 23 I mean, I don't, features. It's hard to say. Um, a lot of it is kind of gated by what's in the standard library. I mean, because what else mm -hmm. is using these features? Um, it's possible. I don't know. Uh, it's <laughs> like, I'm not even sure what's going in 23, honestly. And I, I'm not even sure what's going in 23. <laughs> <laughs> I, I try to keep it very up to date, but. Um, it's really like, it, it matters if there's a, a usage of a feature in a test case in like the libc++ test suite. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, as far as, as far as like standardized features. Okay. So, so, so I want to go back to, you said you found the killer feature. What is it? Well, I think we maybe want to pivot to successor language. Okay. All right. All right. Kind, all of, right. kind of what I'm thinking about. <laughs> so uh, we, we, we will get, we will get to the topic that Connor wanted me to, to, to yeah, discuss with him last week. What do you think of CPP front? <laughs> also, wait, should we, before we get the answer, let's, let's just enumerate off the top. Um, if you're a C++ dev and you've been following for like the last year or two, what are all, I mean, Rust has been around for a decade, so that doesn't really count. And Rust is not aimed at being really like a C++ killer. It just operates in the same space with different, you know, safety, etc. But there is now Carbon, obviously. Google announced in July, uh, CPP front, AKA C plus plus two, AKA whatever else you want to call it. Um, got 
announced in the closing keynote yeah. at CPPCon. Maybe uh, you... maybe not a great naming strategy to give your thing two names. <laughs> I mean, it's I've seen it referred to as both CPP2 and CPP Front. Uh, you mentioned Jacked, which is the language that exists within Andreas Kling's Serenity OS. Val is a language out of Adobe by um, Dave Abrahams and friends, um, formerly who worked on Swift. Is there any other languages, or even Sean, if you want to, if you know, if because apparently you've been you've been watching from the right. Um, so I mean, a Carbon is obviously the the biggest, um, most ambitious attempt, and it has it's the one with the real resources behind it. Yeah. Um, and I think it's interesting that when they announced Carbon, they said, if you're starting a Greenfield project and you don't have any C++ dependencies, write it in Rust. If you're extending a C++ project, you know, in a couple of years, you can do it in Carbon. But Carbon, the interpreter, which has no dependencies, is written in C++. So I'm wondering at, at what point, like, people who say you need to write everything in Rust will actually start writing everything in Rust, because we're not at that point yet. I actually think I, I, so I've seen the, the, um, this, uh, talking point come up a few times in various talks about carbon. And, um, I think that, I think that it's perhaps phrased that way because it, the, the folks behind carbon don't want to suggest that they're trying to replace Rust or that the language in its current form which is very experimental, is a substitute for something like Rust. And they don't they don't want to be presumptuous. Um but um I I suspect that all the all that a lot of people who are working on carbon hope to build a language that is, you know, yes, good for this, you know, working with legacy code uh opportunity, but I think they also just want to build a good language. Um that that maybe at some point in the future, that language would be a language that would be um, uh, good enough to use for new projects. No, I'm asking, though, why not write it in Rust? Yeah, um, but I think because they're, they're C++ folks, probably because, you know, they're building on top of, like, the LLVM libraries. It's not and, on top of LLVM. Um, oh, you mean, like, the interpreter? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's that, 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 you, you make a good point. You make a good I, point. But you put a bunch of C++ people in a the room, they're going to probably try to use C++. <laughs> but they're, they're explicitly writing a Rust-inspired alternative because they say Rust is better. I know, I know. So use Rust then. <laughs> like, what is, what is this about yeah. saying C++? I, I think this a lot of the... Um, I, do, I do know, and I think it's okay to mention this, that um, at, at one point they were considering writing the interpreter in Swift. They were considering writing the interpreter in Swift. I I, I should know this because yeah. <laughs> the Connor and I have been uh, uh, read in on the, the yeah, read on this, for, yeah, like for for a while. A while ago. We, right. we, uh, we just were observers, really. And I think I think there was like even an initial work in Swift. I could be totally wrong. So like if you know, there's people that are more involved in this, and they're like, that's not at all the case. Then feel free to respond on Twitter. But I think. There may have even been some initial work in Swift, but then because of the interop or something, there was some reason that basically they ended up saying that this is just going to be easier to write it in C++ for now. If we want in the future to do something else, maybe we consider that. But I, I, I think they actually did, you know, that doesn't answer why not Rust if Rust is better. 
<laughs> but um, they were they did consider using a, a different language at one point. Um, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. So um, the tenets of carbon, I mean, they're kind of tough to swallow. So first of all, uh, there's no function overloading by design, and I think C plus plus is really C with overloading. Right? That's kind of the core of the language. There's no exception handling. Uh, a lot of people don't like exception handling, but on the other hand, if your C++ code is potentially throwing, uh, you're going to have to have a, 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 a another language that understands exceptions yeah. to be able to support that. That that part, I I don't fully like. I I think that that perhaps that part of the carbon experiment has not been <laughs> well. It gets better. It gets <laughs> thought about. <laughs> sure, uh, there's no multiple inheritance now. You may not care about that, but I use it constantly. Everything in the circle compiler, all the entities are expressed through is a relationships with multiple inheritance. It's just something I use a lot, and I think a lot of compiler people do it. Um, really rely on that on that feature, and it's got no like runtime penalty. It's just a way to organize uh, classes. Uh, there's um, right now there's like no sense of you know raw pointers or real pointers. Uh, I think that's going to have to change because when you interact with system code that's going to give you back pointers uh you're going to have to like deal with pointer arithmetic and 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 all of that um there's a lot of surface area in in header files that have pointers for you know good reasons um and there's no constructors and i think there's no constructors because there's no exception handling so how do you return an error out of a constructor yeah. well you have to make like a factory function a static member function and that's going to have to return like a pair or, you know, a, a um, like a variant with their error code and the construct or the constructed object. So in that sense, it's like Rust, but there is no, um, there are no constructors right now. So there's no sub-object initializers, at least in the conventional sense. So the question is like, how, how is it going to seamlessly interoperate with C++? And I mean, that that is the big, you know, open question with Carmen. You know, the, the, th the thing that, the, the where the place where Carbon offers true advantage over its competitors is the C++ interop, but that is also that's not something that there's a prototype of today, and in some ways that is, um, it's it's not the most mature part of Carbon. Um, uh, well, I, I don't know about that. I think um, I think Carbon. My reading of Carbon is that it's the Google C++ style guide turned into a language. And the Google style guide says no exceptions. Um, it says like no multiple inheritance. Like a lot of the things the style guide says not to do are things that are not in carbon. So they may have a better um, experience um, interoperating with Google internal projects that are written according to that guy than, than outside users would have. So in that sense, maybe it's not a C++ successor. Maybe it's a C++ at Google successor. Well, I, I don't, I, I, I'll push back on that. I think that the folks behind Carbon, um, I think they recognize that as a project that was started by people at Google that started originally as an internal Google project, they, they understand how important it is for something like Carbon to be successful for it to not just solely be a Google thing. Why? And because I think it is, uh, a few reasons. One, if you only have one major organization investing in a thing and only one major organization having ownership over a thing, um, 
it becomes very tailored to that organization's needs and uses. And that, that puts like a cap on, on how far it can grow. But we're talking about Google. I mean, it's a country unto itself. Yeah, but, but, but like they specifically don't want it to be a Google only project. And they don't want it to be perceived as a Google only project. And it, and it's not that it is admittedly true that many of the core collaborators are folks at Google, but they've, they've gone to great lengths to build a wider uh, community. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say this, there are, the, the, the thing that I have the, the greatest, I see the greatest potential in Carbon um, is uh, its governance model and the people behind it um, and their goals. Um, so I can, I agree with the goals that, uh, uh, that the Carbon language has. Um, and I think that more important than where a particular programming language is today, to me, um, is how that programming language is uh, managed and how it evolves. And I have um, a, a great deal of confidence in the evolution process that they've set up and in its ability to um, uh, to address these problems over time. Like, I think if Carbon is successful... The, what carbon will look like in, you know, three to four to five years when it starts to become successful will be very different from the shape that it is today. Um, okay. and I, I'm, and I'm just going on what the current design docs yeah, say. Yeah. So. Um, but, but I, I think that they have set themselves up for success and that they have put good institutions in place to allow them to evolve what carbon looks like today, um, to something that works for, you know, for the the audience that they have in mind and achieves this, those goals that they have in mind. Okay. So on on the flip side, I mean, I, I enumerated all these things that Carbon removes that C++ users expect to have, like function overloads. Yeah. Uh, but they, I mean, they, they want it to be a good user experience. So what are the things they're adding? And a lot of these are Rust-inspired things, like um, instead of... Uh, function overloading, there are, there's like concept, uh, based overloading or what they call like Rust traits or in, uh, Swift or protocols. And in C prior to 2011, they were concepts. Um, you know, they're, they're putting a lot of, uh, investment in, in, in these interfaces, um, or, the, or these, these, these traits. Uh, the other thing is, uh, some types, they have a choice type, which is just like the Rust enum, and they have a first class, um, tuple. And, uh, so when, when Carbon was announced, you know, I, I, I thought like, you know, what is, what is getting the developers excited about this? And it seems to be this new set of features. But all of these things can be implemented in C++. Especially something like uh, like a sum type, uh, you know, language level variant. That's like it's really easy. It's just another data type. It's just a, a you know a tagged union with some compiler generated uh, constructors and assignment operators. So I implemented that um, pretty early on after the carbon announcement. I implemented the question mark operator from Rust, which is the propagation, so that if you have a uh, a choice type called result, it has an OK field and an error field. Um, you can use the uh, comma operator, and at at runtime, it'll examine the um, active element of the uh, choice type, and it'll return. It'll either yield the OK element, or it'll return the error. And this is a way to like propagate errors without exceptions. And and this is what you need 
um, with when you're like using these factory functions, since you don't have constructors, uh, a factory function would return a result of the, that type, comma, whatever the error code is. And then you would be able to use the comma operator to chain the propagation and um, without a whole bunch of typing, have a, a kind of static exception handling. Um, there's syntax for uh, first class language tuples. So it's just like comma separated list of types or comma separated list of uh, expressions. And then finally, there's concepts or what, what uh, Carbon is calling interfaces. So as not to confuse them with C++ concepts. So I went back to the archives to like 2007, 2008, and I dug up the old C++ OX uh, concept wording. It's like 100 pages of wording, Doug Greger, mostly Doug Rager. Um, and there was like, there's the Indiana school and there's the, um, Texas, University of Texas, I guess. Yeah. Right. And there was kind of a, after a few years of back and forth, they had a, um, uh, kind of a joint proposal for this and it was merged into the language. And then I think in 2009, it was all removed. And then we went without exceptions until C20 and then they are without concepts rather. And then concepts we got were concepts light, which are, Basically, just uh, porcelain around porcelain around enable if, so it's it's really kind of gutted the feature. But that concept um, feature from you know 2006 is exactly what Carbon is staking really its entire um, core on, which is how do we do how do we do overloading and how do we do generics? And for them, they they said we want to have these C++ OX concepts. They use the term interface. Um, to keep it distinct from what concepts are in C++ now. So I've been implementing that and it's been like really difficult. <laughs> uh, but I, I think collectively, I, I, ha I have more confidence that these are the features that users want to see because these are the users that, these are the features that persuaded Google management to be able to, you know, say we want to fund this experiment and see where this experiment goes. And you talk to a lot of other kind of C++ old timers. And they, they are like really like Dave Abrahams at CPP now. He was still agitated and angry about the removal of concepts back in 2009. Like there, there was, there was like this led to a large schism in the C++ uh, leadership. Um, arguably, I think if, if not for that schism, you know, it's possible that, uh, you know, the folks like Doug Greger and Dave Abrahams who went off to create Swift would have still been working on C++. Yeah, I, I think time. I think this was a, a, a major defeat as far as like losing, um, you know, senior leadership. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I think for some of this stuff we have to like, I think the committee process has been not optimal for C++ <laughs> because people really... <laughs> People I'll really go to the, the beginning of the episode, the cold open. <laughs> I think a lot of the um, the voters they go to the mat about what if they like a feature or not. They think it's a good feature, and and that's important. But that's not the only concern. I think keeping the community together <laughs> is is another concern, and that's something I've learned writing a compiler. A lot of the features I implement are not things I care about particularly, like these generics I'm putting in. I don't really care about about C++ OX concepts or Rust traits. Um, but I know that a lot of other people really care about them. I mean, they really care about them. And, and you know, I'll, I'll believe them in that, and I'll put the effort in to, to make that happen. And I, I think it's kind of important that we give other people who have, over time, proven themselves to be thoughtful, capable people, we should give them the benefit of the doubt and say, if they're really interested in these features, 
we should put that in the language, even if I'm not personally into it, because otherwise it prevents the language from moving forward. We're never going to get 100% agreement on really anything. So I think we need to kind of like give ourselves, um, you know, more of a benefit of the doubt when it comes to uh, adopting features. The language won't won't evolve otherwise. In doing your historical deep dive, was it documented why they ended up um, getting rid of them? Like, obviously, there was folks on the committee that obviously weren't a fan of it. Like, was there what was the justification? Oh, but buddy, you're you're gonna have to. Uh, that, that's a whole nother episode where we get we get some people from that time period on to talk about. Well, no, I mean, I I was curious too, just from a technical standpoint, because. Like the wording they have isn't, I mean, it's, it's okay. It's doesn't answer all my questions and there's really nobody to go and ask anymore because we're stuck. We're talking about like language that's 15 years old. Um, I, I think there was an issue, a disagreement between like Bjarne's camp, Bjarne's camp that wanted uh, implicit concept maps so that, uh, if a type is probed and this type is determined to satisfy the requirements of the interface, then it satisfies the interface as opposed to explicit concept map. Um, it's just like a choice of defaults. And I think there were a lot of those. And then the time was running out to get something into 11. And at the end, instead of like getting consensus on what the default should be, um, the rest of the C++ committee members just decided to remove the feature. These are like, well, the clock's running down. We don't want to ship something that we don't have consensus on. So they removed the feature and then they never really got back to work on it. At that point, they just moved on. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's like a lot of uh, interpersonal conflicts. <laughs> no, the, the, I, I think there I think there were, but um, it, it was a combination of a variety of technical disagreements, and then those led to a variety of interpersonal arguments. And um, I... It, I, I think it reached a point where both camps became very entrenched and um, there wasn't really a, a a compromise to be found. Um, I, I I tend to not particularly like the design of the concepts that we got. Um, I think that the, uh, the OX concepts design was much more natural and much more how I would imagine like when I when I when I write up in like comments like what a concept should look like, it's much um uh you know, like I, I define sort of like the you know uh, uh the the archetype of, of what it would look like. And that's mm-hmm. much more what the C plus OX concepts look like. Whereas with um with the concepts that we have, you have to like write out these like examples of like how it'll be used. And I just find that supremely weird. Well, the um, concepts we have now uh, don't do type checking yeah, at definition. Yeah. That's the they, big yeah. difference. Like um, Rust traits and what they're trying to put into Carbon, which they're calling interface, um, and, and the Swift protocols, which is actually separate compilation. Uh, and, and there's like a runtime penalty for using the generics in Swift. But, but, but the general form is the same. That's that type checking is done uh, at definition. So you write your um, function generic, and uh, each of the uh, template parameters, or the generic parameters, subscribes to some number of interfaces. So it says like this is an input iterator, and that input iterator has a bunch of refinements indicating yeah. you know it's regular. It can be copied this way, and it has these operations. And only those operations uh, 
that are parts of the interfaces for each of the for each of the data types can be used inside that function. If you use any other thing, then you get a an error at definition. Yeah. Uh, in C++ 20 concepts, the concepts are just uh, an enable if check. Right, so right. if you get past that function declaration into the body, the concepts at that point are moot. They're not well, operative anymore. And and I think the question of whether we could do type checking with OX concepts, that was really sort of what killed it, was that they believed that um, that it would become impractical or uh, computationally impractical or something to that effect, um, or, the, or it would be too complex. Um, but then we ended up with this concepts light and without, and you, you certainly can't do type checking in that model. Um, but without that, what's really the value of concepts? Like it, it doesn't really seem to me like it delivers anything more than a smarter enable if it was promised that it was going to give us these better diagnostics. And I will admit the past like year, the diagnostics have gotten slightly better, but it really does not, I think substantially enhance the, uh, the diagnostic experience in the ways that we thought it would. Um, and it, yeah, like it, I don't really see what the tangible benefits are yeah. other than it's a cleaner way to do enable it. I don't think we have to worry about C20 concepts because we have evidence coming from these successor languages. Swift has the protocols, Rust has the traits. Uh, and, you know, now there's like a decade of uh, usage experience where the customers are more or less satisfied with that, with that um, kind of contract between the, the function and the caller. And I think it makes sense now that we have, you know, so much usage knowledge to try to, to go back and, and implement that in C++. So, so what I've been doing is like, I, I have um, archetype establishment, which is when you mark up your function template with all these interfaces, it's mm-hmm. the conjunction of these interfaces um, indicating the, the, um, capabilities of the types like that is hard to use internally and i think the problem is that if you were to specialize a class template over one of these archetypes um in the current c++ scheme you can't use any of those member functions because those member functions are only known once that um that class template is specialized with real types mm-hmm. which is during instantiation because you don't know if it's going to hit a partial template specialization, yeah. if it's going to hit an explicit, like explicit specialization. So I've been going through and like creating new kinds of fundamental data types. So I have uh, class generics and choice generics. So if you have, um, you know, template with the template parameter list class foo, that's a current, that's the regular class template. But if you have generic with the template argument list class foo, now foo is a, gen, uh, is a class generic and that will actually that has a guarantee that there's no partial or explicit specializations, and it allows you to um, to see the, uh, the the members of that class at definition. So I, I think the the problem is that, and maybe this is a problem back 15 years ago, was that C plus plus didn't really have the full vocabulary to support um, early type checking in a way mm-hmm. that was like convenient but but i think a lot of the decisions for generics and rust and swift and i'm sure carbon when it kind of shakes out is going to um to limit partial specialization and explicit specialization to allow you to fully type check the data members of a of a class that you're using inside a generic function so i've got i've just got like a whole bunch of things in flight now to try to bring 
the new features that are promised by Carbon into C++ without having any like concern about breaking compatibility. Because it's written, it's all embedded in, in you know existing C++ compiler. And what's your motivation for doing that? My, my motivation? Well, yeah. I, I'm always looking for features that are going to... That are going to bring you users, yeah. Yeah, it can be the hit feature. And I think that... But is your, is your point also that we don't need a successful language because we can make C++ better? Um, I don't think that's my... I mean, that might shake out. I don't know. But it kind of is up to the people who helm those successor languages. Because if, if these successor languages work really well... Then they can speak for themselves. I'm, I'm just speaking for my evolution of C++. And I think that, um, you know, C++ gets a lot of flack, but I think we can still evolve it in any direction we want. If we wanted to put val style value semantics in it, I think we could do that. I think we could evolve it in really almost any direction and, and still retain core, uh, compatibility with all the code out there. Yeah. I, I, I tend to agree with you. Um, I think most of the C++ committee and most other implementers don't. What, what, why do you think, why do you think so people, so few people see the potential for evolving C++? Well, they don't want to have to do 20 years of uh, <laughs> proposal revisions. I mean, for some of these features, they would, be, they would take forever. To get through the committee, and I think right, I mean, and, and it's easier for for one person or a small. Well, no, it, it just the Google people who were already the major claim maintainers could have just forked claim, and they could have built the carbon features straight into yeah. claim, and they could call it a successor language. That's fine, but it would have been a superset of C plus plus. Yeah, it could have had a new syntax. They could have even if they wanted made a context free a new context free grammar that has not even all the features, but still plugs into the existing compiler. Yeah, right. Um, now, I think that's just a different workflow, but it's one where at all points you can keep compiling a C++ Hello World and you know it's going to work all yeah. the way through and you can make your incremental changes and you can evolve it in any direction. And I think, um, you know, that's, that's what I'm doing and, and having a, a really nimble C++ compiler source base, you know, allows me to do that. And I think that's really the value. But, of but you also, you don't have a committee of 300 people that you have to get to sign off. But on the claim, the claim maintainers don't have to do that either. They could have just said, we're going to fork carbon and carbon is going to be basically claim with yeah, these but they other features. They didn't do that. Why don't they? Well, I don't know. I mean, they, they have a different, different strategy and a different, I mean, they think differently of C++ than I think of it. Right. Because I think they would argue that's not C++, that's C++ with extensions. Well, okay. <laughs> What's the difference though? At what, at what point does, does the circle dialect of C++ become its own language? This is, I don't think this is a, this is just a vocabulary distinction. I don't think it has any, um, it doesn't affect anything. If you're, what matters is if you're a company and you've got billions of dollars of value in C++ source spaces, um, you want to keep compiling that. You want to make yeah. sure that every year you get the new version out of yeah. your, of your, the new build out. And it'd be great if the compiler improves with your own software. And, and, and we can do that. Like we can, we can evolve C++ much more quickly and, and actually give users the features they want, uh, without having to break anything, you know? Or if you do break, it could be a tiny, like a small break. I have, I've, I've gotten a lot more bold about my 
extensions recently, I've, I've realized I have, I have this pragma, like pound pragma feature and feature name. So I have one like pound pragma feature generics, pound pragma feature tuple, um, a couple others. And, and what they do is they draw new tokens, but only for the file. Yeah. So I can pound pragma feature generics and then include any STL header. And I know it won't conflict with this new tokens I brought in because the token scope is only in that file and I can turn it off if I want. And now I realize, well, why not just like, you know, evolve really rapidly? I'm not, I know I'm not going to break anything because the syntax is gating, um, or that, that, that pragma is, is gating which source, uh, lines are exposed to the new features. And, you know, you just, just try it out. I keep turning it over and over. And so I've been turning over, uh, these function generics, the class generics, tuples, choice types. And I'm, I'm just trying to go through the checklist because I think on every metric, an extended C++ can be competitive with the new features that Carver wants to offer. Yeah. Without any question about, well, it's not going to support exceptions. It's not going to support, you know, function overloading. Uh, yeah, for me, this is, this is the way to, to move forward. And I'm, I'm very, I'm actually happy with the successor language, languages because it's mean there's other people thinking about what features are important and then I can go and, you know, implement those in my own system. Yeah. So. I I do agree with you. I do suspect that in practice in the field, some of that some of the ways in which we would evolve will become constrained by actual real world impacts of um, of making breaking changes. Um, but I I think that that. The C++ evolution process has essentially become uh, paralyzed by this 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 fear of what will happen if we uh, uh, make a breaking change. And why is everyone talking? Why why is everyone so fixated on breaking changes? That's a good question. I mean, none of this has to like interface generics, right? We can we can we can put these in, and that doesn't break any code. Um, Some types don't break any. People want pattern but matching. But doesn't it introduce new keywords? Yeah. So what? I've, I've like I like I said, I'm gating those pound pragma feature yeah. Yeah. interface. Do it your source file. Your new source file. Put that in. Right. You don't have to. You don't have to worry about all your right. system dependencies. And because this is a successful approach in other languages, right? Doesn't JavaScript do this? Don't they have? Uh, uh... Okay, you're you're the language person, Kata. I expect you to know this. Yeah, I don't know I, anything about JavaScript other than they got like 17 different ways to compare things and so what everyone whines about is the triple equals blah blah blah. Um. Um, but no, I believe JavaScript has a use strict thing that if you do it it gives you more modern Well, I, I just think there's been too much made about ABI breakage. No, I, I, don't, I don't mean like ABI breakage. I just mean like, you know, evolved like... Yes, that, that that's a problem, but I think in a lot of the, the cases and examples that you have in mind, it's not a question of ABI, but it's just you're introducing new syntax, new... Yeah, new, so, but what's the problem? It doesn't interfere with the old syntax. See, I, 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 I don't have, I don't see a problem with that. And in fact, there have been language proposals for a thing called epics, you know, in yeah. this space. And I, I think at the end of the day, the, the problem is just that the C++ evolution process moves so slowly. I think epics, uh, I mean, you can debate about what should go in the new epic. And I yeah. think that's really probably where it would slow down. Like people think some, fe- what is best? I, I don't really believe in codifying like best 
use yeah, yeah, but, best, so, you know the, best there's, practice there's another reason why i think you'll get resistance from the committee i just remembered this oh. um there's this fear of creating dialects there's this fear that if you have like these modes that you opt into then you create then c++ becomes sharded into multiple different dialects of c++ i i, I personally think that this is not uh not a reasonable argument because we already have dialects. You got, you got CUDA. Well, yes, you have CUDA. But also, you know, between C11, 14, 17, 20, like in the wild, like people program in these different, you know, uh, uh, time snapshot esque mm -hmm. dialects. And, and introducing some epics like thing or some, some pragma feature thing that lets us introduce new syntax in that people opt into, it would just be another form of that. Um, so I, I don't understand the, the, the concern for that, but I think it's really, it's a concern that like there must be one unified C++. Um, and I think, I think there are some people who view C++'s devotion to, um, uh, to backwards compatibility at all costs as just like a core aspect of I, C++. Again, I think this is a... I'm I'm trying not to again when I see a can of worms I don't go and open it and I'm, I, I, <laughs> I I just I, I was I wasn't gonna take a bite about this earlier but we gotta go back to that dude you built your own C plus plus compiler that's like by definition opening up a can of worms well no I mean it's something you can make consistent progress at if you just push at it and and this thing about well this existential crisis about Breaking compatibility with old code or breaking ABI. I, I don't, I'm just, I'm not personally that interested in, in that fight. Like, yeah. I don't, I, I could go either way. I don't care. If somebody wants to spin a new libc++ that has like different data layouts or types in the same namespace, like, all right. I mean, it's just something to point the compiler at. For me, it, it doesn't really matter. And I, you know, I, I think we should let the vendors do what the vendors are going to do. And if you're on a, a managed Linux system, like if you're on like a CentOS kind of system where you have a professional sysadmin who rolls it out every three years to the organization, like that's a fine time, I think, to break ABI if you're going to do it. Because it's like the whole organization goes in one, goes as one unit. And then yeah. you all debug your problems. And then the next month you're back up and running. Um, I, you know, I, I there's ways to do it. But I don't think that saying, well, we have to break ABI or we have to break backwards compatibility to evolve. And there's, we can definitely evolve without breaking old code. Right. Uh, I agree, but it, it, but the problem is that it, it requires us to take bold steps to do that. Um, or that, it, it may requires the committee to take steps that the committee thinks as, thinks of as bold. Um, yeah, I don't know. The, 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 the reality is that it takes, it takes 10 years for any, New idea to get into the standard, right. and so it would take ten years for us to get pragma feature or epic. Well, but I mean, by saying pragma, I'm indicating I don't really care about standardization. Yeah, yeah, like I, yeah. I've chosen no, 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 but a my, vendor my, my, extension. My, my point, my point is just that, like, if like, like if if we just assume that 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 there's really my my, my point is that. Even if all three of us here agree um, uh, that this is a thing that's like pretty straightforward, there's like there's there's no real reason not to do it. 
Um, and even if most C++ programmers would agree that we should like have something like some some mechanism like FX or or, or Fragma feature that would allow us to model the language better, even if everybody in the committee agreed upon that, and I'm I'm pretty sure that we've taken polls to that effect, mm -hmm. it would still take ten years for us to hammer out the details on the committee. Right, but the committee, I mean, at the end of the day. Companies want to keep compiling their software yeah. and make it incrementally better and then sell it or monetize yeah. it somehow. And I think for them, like, what's more, what's more important? Is it, is it, um, adhering to the ISO standard or is it like being able to compile their software and having like confidence that they'll be able to compile it next year as well? And I think we've conflated the two. Like, uh, companies have gotten, they're, they're, they're confident that C++ is a long-term thing because it has this like international effort behind it. But at the same time, we know now, and we're feeling the pinch of Google withdrawing apparently quite a bit of investment from Clang. Yeah. I mean, it seems the pace of Clang development has slowed down, and maybe they're shifting to the successor language, and the the interoperability story there is like very questionable. So if if the question becomes, well, we either jump to Carbon, whatever that may be in the future, which has really there's no guarantee it's going to continue to compile our existing code, yeah. or we we just suffer with C plus plus twenty or like, you know, very slow incremental progress and bleed users and like find it harder and harder to recruit developers. Like those are like two very risky propositions. And I think the the less risky one, which you're right, is not going to sail through ISO standardization, is to take the ISO standard. Yeah, honor it. Like yeah, I'm, I want to implement everything that's in it. You know, and then just give the features that these other rival languages are providing their users. There's no reason we shouldn't have a sum type. And, and you know that. And I think, it, it, it sounds like you are essentially calling for revolution. No, I'm not calling. What is, what is with this? Connor, do you have to do this with Bryce every time? <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, I, is that, this is great. I take, uh, I take the most conciliatory tone possible, and he's saying I like, rose Pierre but, over here. But if you, is, if you unpack what you're saying, what you're saying is that we should just take take ISO C++ as it is, and then we should, and then compiler vendors should build the features that users want. That's not revolution. That's the standard committee can can keep making on a three year cadence. Can see can keep coming out with a uh, with a standard. That's fine. And and if you're on a team, you know the pro the project manager for the team could say, well, keep with the standard. Keep with seventeen. Keep with twenty. Keep with twenty three or whatever. Uh, or they could say, well, just use this set of, of new vendor extensions, whatever. But like, it's but, not. But, but what people want is they, they want to be able to, people are afraid of vendor extensions. They want those, they, they want to be able to use, to take their code and use it with any C++ compiler. But that's not the case with Rust. There's one Rust compiler. There's one Python compiler. There's one Swift compiler. There's, there's zero carbon <laughs> so, compilers, so, right? So Every other language has just one are, are you Are you advocating even, more interesting position of that we should just have one C++ compiler. No, I... <laughs> Unbelievable. No, no, no. No, but, but why not? You have, like, such ISO brain. It's... it's... No, no, no. But, but, but why shouldn't we have one C++ compiler? Look, I... Because if that was the case, I would ne never have been able to write mine. If there was some law where... It's like... If, I'm not saying there should be some law. If there some... Some enforcement mechanism where the SWAT comes in and like. Well, if we're gonna have one C++ compiler, it should be circle. Oh well, yeah, great, great. <laughs> no, I think uh, it's important that everyone look. I'm not against the successor languages. Yeah. I think uh, you know they say carbon's an experiment. Like, good. I think the scientific 
method of trying things out and trying to learn from that is good. Um, I, I want to do what they're doing, but from a different direction. For me, compatibility is really important. Yeah. You know, for me, I'm extending ISO C++. I'm, I'm, I have uh, the same features that Carbon has in mind, and I'm just putting them into the C++ but, compiler. Okay, but what if, what if another compiler wanted to, like, really liked one of the features that you were doing and wanted to put it into their compiler, and then they wanted some mechanism, like, by which the two of you could agree upon how Great. this works? Okay, that would be good. That would be, that would indicate a lot more, like, ambition and creativity in the C++ compiler space than there is now. Yeah. I mean, I think there. I think maybe you're saying the committee is afraid of like too many people doing creative things. Is this what it? Um, <laughs> but that's like not that hasn't been the case no, no, really. No, I, I don't. In Twenty I don't some think years. The committee's afraid of too many people doing too different too many things. Um, I, I think the committee wants to to be bolder, and the committee wants to do creative things. And I think pretty much everybody in the committee has good intentions. I think the committee's problems are. Um, there's one. There's just there's just too many people. There's 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 too many perspectives. I I don't think that uh a I don't think that you can have your core decision making body be like three hundred and fifty people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like there should be like eight people at most that like make final decisions on things. Um, there's 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 it's not that there's too many voices. Hearing everybody's opinions is good, but there's too many, there's too many like deciding voices. Um, and I also think that there's like, because of that, there's far too many constraints because like we've got like 350 folks that you got to convince. Um, and, and everybody has like very different goals and objectives. Um, and, you know, our goal is to build, like, you know, we're all built around this building consensus. And so I think oftentimes we bend over backwards and try to satisfy, you know, whoever happens to be objecting loudly to what we want to do. And it ends up where you've got this thing that is pulled in 20 different directions to satisfy these constraints. Um, yeah, I think that's how it plays out. I think that's, that's probably an accurate dynamic. Yeah. You would know, I'm not involved with any of this, but on the other hand, when there's a new proposal that's like a core core language proposal, you know, I if it's if it seems to me like well defined, I will implement it. Yeah. And even if I'm not that interested in it, and I, I think that we should have a more liberal attitude, which is I was saying at the beginning of this. Even if it's not about standardization as the ultimate goal, but it's just like like the talk I gave in, in Aspen. Like you said you're you're angry that a lot of people had objections to it. I I felt that it was such a good the the issue that I had is that I think people fail to appreciate um, the the vision that you have and uh, how much you've driven forward the the world of C plus plus compilers. Just just if for no other reason than by demonstrating to people that. It's not some like big scary thing that like you know you there's only three people in the world and you need like these huge teams to do like you're you're just one guy mm-hmm. who went off and built the C plus plus compiler and when you wanna you know when there when you find a proposal that you find interesting you can go and rapidly prototype it and 
I think it's been very refreshing and eye-opening for the C++ world to see that that is possible. Um, and it, it, not everybody, I think, I, I certainly, I don't agree with every aspect of your vision of, of the specifics of what you have in mind. Um, but it seemed like to me, like that was sort of besides the point that, that you were showing us a world of possibilities mm-hmm. and you don't have to agree with every possibility that Sean showed in that talk, but that world where we can have all these possibilities, that's very exciting. And then a bunch of people came up and asked questions, nitpicking, like, well, I don't like this and that and that. And it just, it made me so sad. Right. So I'm like, but you're missing the point. The point is that we have so many options that we can, we can, ex- we can move faster. We can explore all of these things. We can make the language better. Um, right. and people just wanted to focus on it. Yeah. I think I said something like, um, I'm not trying to convince you of any individual feature. I'm yeah. just trying to convince you that incremental change will make the language better and more right, expressive. Right, right. And yeah. what made me sad was that people didn't focus on that. People focused on Well, I think it's just like, take a beat. You know, like, I I delivered like 90 minutes of like rapid fire. There's like, oh, like here's like 20 new features, right? And and just like sleep on it at least. And, and try to look at it from a different angle. Because I think there's a lot of preconception about what metaprogramming should look like. And my stuff didn't look like that. It might have looked more like JavaScript or something else. I mean, I, I didn't really have any individual idiom. I was just trying to do things that would cut would cut cut through the nonsense we deal with on a daily basis if you're writing like standard library code. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that sense, it was like very non-ideological. I was just trying to get to, you know, f- complete the problem, you know, finish the problem. And I think people just need to like adjust their brains a little bit to to take to to, to sit back and say. Does this help me solve my problem as opposed to does this conform to some design ideology? And yeah. I think, I think for a long time, C++ has been too much in that design ideology mind, mindset. Whereas other languages, they don't have these scruples really. Yeah. Like if there's something that's super useful, like they'll put it in there, even if it doesn't make any like theoretical sense. Uh, and I, you know, it, going back to the epics, like I think the epics thing is a perfect example of that. The, one of the biggest objections to Toons and Minic ethics has been this ideology that you can't have dialects or subsets of C++, that it needs to be a one coherent vision of a language. And the, I, I'm sure that there's a motivation for that, but um, the the sort of the absolutism of like that keeping us from doing the possibly the one thing that could really unlock our future is I think very, uh, very troubling, and and it's the way that I've heard that concern expressed has really been sort of this like theoretical. Well, you know, we might shard the community in the future if we introduce some notion of you know subsets or variants or dialects, um, and so we shouldn't we shouldn't do or encourage that. And there's a lot of things like that where where we we. The committee is presented with some option, and that option would fix a real problem that we have. And but we don't do that thing because of some theoretical problem that hmm. that might happen if we do that. And it's like like yeah, <laughs> you know, it's that, the, the house is on fire, um, but we don't want to put out the fire because you know that could create some other problem. Well, maybe we should focus on the problems that we have. There are, I think, also we lose sight that there are 
you know, like a million full-time C++ programmers, and it's their livelihood. Yeah. And, um, you know, if you can make them incrementally more productive, if you can make them 5%, 10% more productive, that is like industry changing. That is yeah. when you integrate over all of the effort going in, that is, you know, so many billions of dollars of value added. Yeah. And but, I don't think we should like, you know, veto features without really considering the consequence of what we're doing there. But one of the sad things, and I think you will be intimately familiar with this, um, uh, big tech companies so drastically undervalue developer productivity. And like, this is one of the reasons why there are so few like compiler front end engineers relative to, you know, compiler back end engineers. Um, this is why like you have so few people working on, um, uh, like standard libraries and build systems and stuff like that. Because, um, at the end of the day, a lot of big tech companies perspective is like, Oh, well, you know, it's painful to write the code. Like, that's okay. Like we got good developers. Like they'll, they'll be able to do it. And it's like, it's exactly what you said. You know, if you make if you make all your programmers five percent more efficient, that is going to save you so much. <laughs> and uh, and it, and it it is sad that it is sad that degree to which thing technologies like compilers are undervalued. Um, uh, you know, especially in this day and age, there used to be a lot more you know C plus plus compiler companies, mm-hmm. and um, now there's there's only a few, and there's only really one front-end company left that's that's EDG. Um, and there's just not the money in the developer tools space that there is in other um, in other sectors. You know, if I if I go to a, a programming language conference like C like uh, C++ now or uh, CPPCon back when I went to CPPCon, um, you go and you see like who's sponsoring it and like how big like the vendor space is, and it's not that large. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you go to a conference like supercomputing or like a conference that like sells, yeah, huge, right. yeah where they, where they yeah. sell hardware. And it's like, there's so much oh, money. Yeah. But the whole this, exhibition hall is yeah, yeah. switches and things. Yeah. Um, but it's just, we just don't, we don't, we invest in the physical tools that we give to programmers. We don't invest in the, uh, the, um, the software tools that we give to programmers as much as we should. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, but you but you never answered the question. What do you think of CPP front? Yeah, well, so yeah, I was gonna say we've been talking about um, Carbon and Circle and C plus plus. So I guess first question is, did you watch the closing keynote? And then second question, yeah, thoughts on CPP front? And uh, hopefully the answer to the first one is yes. And then you can give a little because I'm sure that some of our listeners have no idea what we're talking about because they have not s- seen that keynote yet. I did not watch the keynote. Wait, wait, Connor, did you watch the keynote? I did, yes. Okay. I I, uh, I I was like the, I participated in Herb's keynote from the previous year where he showed a pattern matching proposal, which I implemented in Circle. Mm-hmm. And after I sent him that code, he sent me the CPP2 doc, which is not public, and that's like 120 pages. So I read the doc. So I have more information than. Wait. So when this was back at right after last year's CPP gone? Maybe before, like probably in August of last year. Interesting, because this is a, a, what do you call it, an editorial comment that I had sort of, I thought that this mostly was a reaction. Oh, no, this has been, I mean, CPP2 has been around for 
like a lot. Herb's been working on this for a while. I think I first heard of it in Herb should have he should have done this announcement like a couple years ago. But this is I think um I think there's there's always like this 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 challenge when you got this new project of like when is it ready to show? Well it's not ready to show, but he's gonna show it still. Yeah, right? exactly. There's and no I but I think that that's really hard for some people. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. It's fine. But but I, I think um you know, Carbon, I think, picked a good sort of time. And one thing that Carbon did was Carmen didn't, um, you know, go public, you know, like as soon as it was in, you know, conceived of. But they had a pretty long period where they brought in more, they brought in more and more films. I think Carbon was too early announced. You think it was too early? That was like, too yeah, early. it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't, it didn't even have like not equal but, operator. It didn't have less than, it didn't have integers other than 32 bit. It didn't have floats. Um, it didn't, it, it, it's not like a, you can't compile anything. There's no compiler. I think they should have. They should have got code generation. But I agree that like CPP two, I think would be far more effective and more likely to to gain traction as an idea if it had been um, announced earlier. I think ditto with things like meta classes, etc. Yeah, because I, I looked at the repository and it started in mid 2021 or late 2021 no, and and almost that. all the code contributions happened since July so just like 3 months ago so uh, when i was talking to her he had just started like this was last summer he had just started that repository mm-hmm. um and like he said it's it's a i guess he's calling it a transpiler but it doesn't like it, it's not a compiler so uh it's a one way it's a one directional thing which is not, you can't actually make software that way, right? Like if you're, textually, if you call a function, you have to know what the, return, the result object type is of that function. There's no way to, to determine that from from this architecture he has. So it's really just a way to show the syntax, I think. The the, the more of the, the real value is in that document, which I don't think he's made public still. No. Yeah, so that is, I guess this is kind of the same, um, I'm not going to say criticism, but I'm going to say this is, a different philosophy I have from Carbon or from CPP2, which is we can dis- we can disaggregate these features. Like Herb's feature, major feature, I think, is the parameter passing. He has these uh, directives, like you know, in, in, out. Yeah, yeah. And they may compile to different things. They may emit an R value reference, or it may emit, um, you know, a, a deep copy or a pass by value if it's like a trivial type. Like you can disaggregate that and you can say this is a C++ proposal and we can put that into an existing C++ compiler. And it's just a few like new bits of syntax. And, and I think that's, if you want to show like that this is a better way to, to pass parameters that leads to less bugs. Great. And let's fold it into existing code and we can even rewrite std map or something like that with these, yeah. with these, um, new parameter directives. I, I kind of wish that. He had focused more on the um, the the features the, to disaggregate the features of CPP2 and focus on them individually. And he has kind of like he does have a proposal for static exceptions, and I think there's that yeah there is a meta classes proposal. Although yeah. these are again like five years ago, which is when he started this this grand vision. I think it's kind of like um you know, Rodan, you know, like the whole Gates of Hell tableau, but like people don't want the whole tableau; they just want the thinker. So. You know, Herb, just like give us the thinker, and and the whole tableau is a little bit much to buy into. If you care about, and just just yeah. in case uh, our listener is not um, 
up to date with this announcement. Basically, this CPP front slash CPP2 thing is, I don't even really know if it's, you can call it a proposal. Herb in his talk says it's just his sandbox or, you know, for, you know, it's his sort of dreamland future where he's introducing a whole new syntax and then calling it not a language, but as Sean mentioned, like it transpiles to C++ and it's just a different file extension. So you, you know, write this new syntax, call the file .cpp2, and then it'll generate a .cpp file, which then ends up getting getting compiled. And there's a bunch of new fancy stuff, the inote stuff that just got mentioned, which if you've watched Herb's keynote, I think from the previous year, a couple of years ago, he talked about that potentially being something that could show up in C++. And um, yeah, he unifies, I think, like function and Lambda syntax. And there's a bunch of stuff in it. Yeah. And it's, I thought the most, <laughs> I don't know, the most curious thing, but at the beginning of the talk, and it might might actually be like the most, I don't know, know what the word is concerning, but I was just like, wow. It made me think of Java from 2018 when I was at Oracle HQ for like a Java 13 party. And one of the people presenting on stage who is like a key Java contributor, I can't remember his name. I can find it and put it in the show notes. He went on a big, he got a question from someone in the audience about like some feature in Scala. And then he went on like a 10 minute monologue of how, you know, Java's not dead. And, you know, you can't keep just asking for all these cool features and these functional languages. And I was just like, whoa, man, like it was just a question. Like, why are you getting so upset just because someone mentioned Scala? Because I'm guessing clearly these people that work on Java get a lot of questions. Like, How come we can't have language X, language feature X in, in Java? And so what Herb said at the beginning, and maybe I'll even, I'll cut the audio clip in, uh, is he basically begs the audience. He says, please don't leave C++. And I was like, wait, what? Like, you're at a keynote talk of the, you know, largest, or I guess maybe not by this year's numbers, but, you know, it's, it's sort of known as the, for, for however many years, the premier North American um, I guess it's only one of two, now three. Anyways, point is, it's a big conference. And uh, the closing keynote is like asking the attendees of the conference like not to leave the language. And um, I was just kind of <laughs> shocked that like that, that was being – because like – and like I said, like as soon as he said that, it made me think of like – Th this uh, meetup that I went to at Oracle HQ where, you know, the, this guy was basically upset and saying, you know, Java's not dead. We got millions of people, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, I mean, the second you start saying something's not dead, like it's like, you know, when they say, oh, smart people don't say they're smart. You know, it's like, it's one of those things. It's anyways, it was so like I said, I'm not sure if the word is concerning, but I just I, I thought it was odd to. Um, and that made me even think is like, is this like actually like some inflection point? And is it be the beginning of? the end we're seeing all these suggestions i, I think it's definitely an inflection point i think whether it's the beginning of the end is is a question up to um our user base and also the the leadership like what what what, what do you think sean like do, what if you could what do you think of, of that and like also like if you had a crystal ball or you had to bet you know five ten years from now what do you what do you think the low-level language space is going to... Is everyone going to be writing in circle? Is it going to be... C++ is just going to be in slow decline? Or 
Tune in next time to hear Sean's answer and part two of this episode. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed and have a great day.